Courtside Club is presented for the people by Caesars Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesars Rewards. Must be 21 or older. So you're not going to let me do a 94 feet with you? Oh, I would love to. Absolutely. All right, let's do it. Oh, we're doing it right now? Yeah. <laughs> What's up, you guys? I'm Rachel Demita, and welcome to the Courtside Club. Today, we have former Duke Blue Devil and ESPN's college basketball analyst, Jay Billis, joining us today. Jay, welcome to the Courtside Club. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on. This is a, an honor. I know that you are such a busy guy traveling all over. Where are you at right now? I'm actually at home for a day. Um, this has been the busiest sort of November, December I've ever had. Uh, by next Tuesday, after I get back from LA, um, I will have traveled 30,000 miles in 30 days. So that's sort of a, uh, that's a longer, <laughs> that's more travel than I'm used to. Oh, geez. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and jumping on Courtside Club. Your Sky Miles and all of your accounts on all the airlines have to be platinum status, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, but it sucks because, you know, you, you get all these miles and then, you know, you can take trips, but I don't want to go anywhere after you after you finish the season. Right. Well, I was excited to have you on because we really haven't gotten into college hoops much on Courtside Club yet. And I know that you are our college hoops expert and you have been for many, many years. So first off, you've been to a ton of games this season. You've been locked in. What teams stand out for you that we should be keeping our eye on? Boy, the, the best teams I've seen, uh, Purdue uh, is is really good and they have something that nobody else has. They've got a 7-4 center named Zach Eady who's just dominant and has been you know spectacular all year long. Um, I think UConn has a, a great team. Uh, they've got two centers uh, that that play. Um, you know, Dama Sinogo is uh, is really good, and um, you know they've got a, a Jordan Hawkins as an NBA caliber shooter. Uh, so they're they're really good, and I think Houston stands out as one of the best teams because of the way they defend. Um, they're physical. Uh, they rebound really well on both ends of the floor, and they're they're tough. I mean, they they sort of lead the nation in playing hard. And there are a number of other teams that I think are really capable. But those three started the year with a a great vibe and have a chance to be really good before it's all over. You played college basketball, but you played under Coach K in his early days. So, first of all, what was that like? Well, first of all, thank you. That was a very nice way of calling me old. Um, it, it, yeah, I played uh, 30 some years ago for Coach K. And uh, actually, he recruited me, started recruiting me 40 years ago or 40 years ago. So it's been a long time. Um, playing for Coach K was awesome. Uh, you know, everything about our relationship has been that. And uh, that that's really one of the cool things about playing for him early is uh, the guys who played for him more recently that are in the NBA now or you know, played for him in the last 10 years, they played for a better coach than we did. Uh, he's a better, he's a better coach at the end than he was at the beginning. And that's, that's what you'd expect. You know, hopefully we'd all get better as we get older and get more experience and all that. But uh, the guys that I played with, you know, we, we've all had him as our mentor and coach and friend for 40 plus years. And, and, you know, these guys aren't going to be able to duplicate that. Uh, so that, that was a, that was a really lucky happening uh, in timing Playing for him, being recruited by him before he was well known, was was a really cool thing because when he first started recruiting me, I'd never honestly never heard of him. He had no track record, um, so you weren't you weren't committing to a reputation. You were committing to 
um, to him personally without uh, the fanfare that went along with it. And uh, so I, I think all of us are really proud of the decision we made. Um, at the time uh, when when I committed to Duke, there were a lot of people that were saying, what are you doing? Like, who is this guy? Like, why wouldn't you go play for Lute Olson or uh, Jim Beheim or go to Kansas or all this stuff and play for, for Ted Owens, who, who had unbelievable track records at the time? Uh, but you know, you just kind of knew that it was the right thing. And, uh, and in hindsight, it, it seems like a no brainer, but at the time, uh, there were a lot of people that were doubting, you know, doubting the decision. Something that I've heard you say in other interviews is you talk about how college players and, and you just said you did it yourself, go to a school for the coaches, but you're not always guaranteed to have those coaches there when you get there. And, I'm somebody in my family, I was, I'm the only person who's ever played a Division One sport. We were very naive to what recruiting was. And that was something that actually happened to me at Old Dominion. I got very close with the assistant coaches. And then when I got to campus, they were gone. So the reason I was going to this school, I, I overlooked some of the other things. And I was like, oh, they have a great program. And I love these coaches. And I've built this relationship. And when I got there, they weren't there. And you've been really outspoken about we should be able to give these kids the leniency. And with COVID, there was they didn't have to sit out a year. But now it's going back to right. If you transfer as a Division One athlete, you have to sit out. What could you elaborate more on that? And what are your thoughts on maybe making that college experience a little bit better for kids who get into that situation? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's really a question of policy. So when I was in college back in the dark ages, I was a member of an NCAA committee. I was a, an athlete representative of the NCAA's long range planning committee. So I learned how NCAA policy worked and found out at the time that the transfer restriction was really only active in five sports. It was football, men's and women's basketball, hockey and baseball. That was it. Every other athlete could transfer and be eligible right away. So I thought that was unfair. And when I was recruited, I came down to, uh, I, I had four schools I came down to, but it really came down to Duke and Iowa. And the head coach at Iowa at that time was a gentleman named Lute Olson, who after what was my freshman year, he took a job at Arizona and became, you know, the, the best coach Arizona ever had. They were, you know, final four contenders every year and all that. But had I gone to Iowa, I would have been stuck at Iowa and he'd be at Arizona. And and if I wanted to go with him out to Arizona, if he, if he would have taken me out there, um, I would have had to sit out a year. And so what, I, I'd have to play my last year of college at age 23? Like, why? That makes no sense. And at least it made no sense to me. But the, the policy that the NCAA has, it, you know, is, is athletes are students who just happen to be athletes and they're students to be treated like any other student. But yet, they're the only people uh, in the college space or anywhere else that is not allowed to earn or accept their value in the marketplace. So you're not allowed any money where every other student is allowed to make money and go to school and get a scholarship and do whatever they want. But athletes can't. And similarly, Rachel, like whether it's your experience at Old Dominion or mine, whatever, um, you know, you have a certain level or reputation you get uh, being recruited as a high school player. But that's not necessarily your limit. And so if, if you're seen a certain way and you're recruited on a certain level and you perform above that level when you're in college, why shouldn't you be allowed to? to jump up to another level and, uh, and play on a different stage. You know, the coaches get to do it. Like, well, you know, if they, if they're in a mid-major school and they start killing it and, and, you know, they get, 
they get taken out of that job to a higher level and nobody seems to have a problem with it. I don't see why it should be a big problem for a player. Uh, so there are just as many, if you want to call it this, just as many down transfers from from high major schools to low major schools and there as there are up transfers. Uh, so um, it's a little more difficult now for coaches to keep their rosters together. I get it. Uh, it's it's uh, it's what they consider a problem, but I don't consider uh, freedom of choice for uh, the the revenue drivers in the sports that we're talking about here. I don't consider that to be a problem. I consider it to be a good thing. And you've seen now in college, right? We, we have at IL that you alluded to a little bit, but then you also have all these options for men's basketball players to not go to college, right? So we have G League, we have uh, Ignite, we have, you can go overseas now, you can just sit out a year. So from your perspective, watching college basketball as long as you can, what has been the biggest difference now that some of these new kind of policies have been implemented? Well, the NIL is really just a first step toward athletes uh, having full economic rights and being able to bargain with their schools for contracts and, and revenue sharing and things like that. We're going to get there eventually. Uh, it's inevitable in my view. All of this was inevitable. Um, but, you know, athletes now have uh, some options. And what, what it's really doing, Rachel, in my view, is it's keeping athletes in school longer which for people like, like me, and I, I, I would assume you who believe in education, that's a good thing. So if athletes are in school longer, they're getting more education, which we say this is all about, you know, this is what this is all about. So, you know, we've seen a number of great players stick around for another year because of NIL, or at least being a, a major factor. And that's a good thing. Um, now that, that the NBA is headed toward eliminating the one and done rule, and athletes going straight into the NBA out of high school, it's going to diminish college basketball. Um, nobody can can tell me uh, or convince me, at least they haven't yet, that that you know not having Kevin Durant or Kevin Love or Derrick Rose or Zion Williamson makes college basketball better. It doesn't. Of course, it doesn't. You, know, you take that kind of talent out of the game, it's not going to enhance the product. But um, but it'll still be it'll still be really good. And it'll still be compelling and fun and all that stuff. Um, but you know, you do worry a little bit about, uh, NBA people being back in high school gyms for practices and for games and scouting and, you know, what's that going to do? You know, college is going to be a lesser option now for, for young people where I think it should be a primary option, uh, because of the socialization and education that you receive in college. Um, but, but, you know, I do think college is a, is a great thing for any young person. Can I play devil's advocate for a second? Yeah. What if it makes college basketball better? And in a sense, whether now we have NIL and now we have this, I, I couldn't even call it a middle tier because there's still fantastic athletes, but maybe people like me, for example, who might not even have dreams of going to college, but now it's this second division of, of basketball where you have guys who are there for four years who might never play pro, maybe they do, but it almost strengthens the the fan base and the the people who are fans of college basketball because they are sticking with certain players for longer. Do you know what I'm saying? I do, and and that's a great point. It's just that you know I think uh, uh, there are a number of fans out there, if not a lot, that say one thing yet do another. 
So they, they say that, you know, they miss the old days where players stuck around for four years and they got to know them and got to fall in love with the team or recruiting class. But the truth is what really moves the needle is a player like Zion Williamson. So people say they like, you know, the, what you're describing, but yet Zion Williamson is the game in the game and the ratings are through the roof. I mean, we couldn't get enough Zion when he was at Duke. Could not get enough. And uh, same with Kevin Durant and all these others. Um, you know, people are drawn to superstars and uh, and whether they're there for a year or longer. And look, you're too young to, to remember this, but I'm not. So when I was a kid, when when the game of the week was on on Saturday, that was literal. There was only one game on a week natu- nationally. That was <laughs> yeah. true in, in, in the NFL and uh, the NBA, and it was true in college. So when people say, hey, you know, I miss the days when you could watch Larry Bird at Indiana State. You didn't watch Larry Bird at Indiana State. Like his games weren't on television. They might have been on television locally in the state of Indiana. But the truth is most fans only saw Larry Bird when he played in the NCAA tournament in 1979. And uh, and they didn't see all these teams like the game. You can see any game you want anytime you want now. And there's more fandom. Uh, there's more knowledge about players na- uh, nationally than there's ever been. Um, so, you know, look, the NBA is more popular than college. It's certainly more popular with young people. Um, and and I think college needs to um, be cognizant of that. If we want to grow the game, uh, being more inclusive is better than being less. And there's still there's still a mindset among college administrators that if you don't want to stay four years and be Bill Bradley or Shane Battier, then we don't want you at all. And I think that's a uh, that, that's not something that I agree with. You know, that's sort of a hoity-toity, snooty uh, attitude, in my opinion. And it's an elitist one uh, that, that somehow college isn't for everyone. And, and if you're not, you know, if you're not going to college in order to learn how to split the atom, uh, it's not worthwhile for you. I think that's a, a negative view of things that, that I don't share. Yeah, I agree with you on that point as well. And a lot of people even ask me if, if college helped me in my career, and it did significantly. And, you know, a lot of people say you don't need college to do this and that, or if you're following entertainment. Um, but I agree with you on that. College was really beneficial for me. One more subject on, on this kind of topic before we move on. You talked about guys playing at college for more than one year, and it seems like right now the NBA doesn't really want guys the longer that they're in college. You know, they're looking at these young guys with fresh legs one year, maybe two years. What do you think about that? And what have you, how have you seen that kind of trickle into the NBA? It's not that the NBA doesn't want players that stick around longer. It's that they want talent. So, you know, the, the younger players that have immense talent have been leaving early to capitalize on that talent. Uh, so it, it seems like they want these younger players. They want the most talented players. And, you know, if, if Kevin Durant decided to stay at Texas for four years, he still would have been taken at the top of the draft. It's just players leave earlier now because of the money available to them. And, uh, and you know, part of that's changed. Like they're leaving earlier too, too because of what I said before about trying to get to their second contract. Like it used to be you made boffo money uh, out of the gate. You know, you could sign a $60, $70 million contract out of college back in the day, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago, whatever it was. 
now there's a rookie salary cap. So you got to get through that three year period and an option. And then you get to your, your second contract where, where the real money exists. So getting there earlier is part of the strategy for players. Got it. And with that, I would like to take a halftime break if you're down. Yeah. Okay. So I know that you are familiar with courtside club. I thought of a really fun game Big fan. for you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Jay. Um, I have a fun game for you for today's halftime show. Uh, I know that you're a Jeezy fan, and you've been tweeting lyrics of his. Is is it daily? Daily. Every morning. For, for years now. Before we even get into the game, how did that start? I'm a, I'm a music fan like most people. Um, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, we were on the road for college game day and we were at Michigan State and Draymond Green was uh, warming up and he had a big set of headphones on and we asked him what he was listening to and he said Young Jeezy and one of my colleagues asked me is that on, and this is back when there were iPods I think he said, he said my colleague said is that on your iPod and I said actually it is you know I had TM 101 on my on my playlist and um, and so people didn't believe it. And, uh, and somehow on Twitter, I was going back and forth with folks and I started putting out, like I would respond with a lyric or something. I think I had to, I actually had to go into my law office and I had to cut the conversation short. So I put, I got to go to work on there. And it just, I don't know what happened, <laughs> but it just kind of caught on. I started doing it and, uh, and now it's become an expectation, a daily expectation for me. That's your signature sign off. No, I love it. It's it's so unique and I, I feel like unexpected for someone who otherwise is kind of just immersed in sports. So for halftime today, I have some lyrics, some Jeezy lyrics, of course, and I want to see if you Oh, can you're not going to try them. to get me to tell you what the song is, Ariel. Screw it up. I think you got these. I'm going to read the lyrics and I'm going to try to not do it to the beat and I'll probably embarrass myself in the process as well. Let's see. Let's start it off. Hopped up out the bed. I think my roof gone. Think I forgot to put my roof on. Said F it, buy another car. Hopped out the limb. Said F it, bought another car. That could be any Jeezy song. I got no idea. I'm going to give you one more from this song. Because I, I picked kind of a harder one because I wasn't sure, you know, how deep you were into it. Okay. You think you ballin' because you got a block? He think he ballin'. Oh, that's ballin'. Yeah, that's ballin', yeah. There we go. See, you knew it. I, I just had... <laughs> I mean, if you, go with the, if you go with the chorus, I can get it. Okay. Okay, so ballin', that was our first one. This one is a fun one. Enemy of the state, they callin' me Will Smith. Thing on my side, you can call that Jada. Them boys talking down, yeah, we call them haters. I'm balling right now, so we'll get back to that later. I have tweeted this one. Are you gonna give me the chorus on that? Trap all day, play all night. I got, I, I got no clue. It's go get a. Go get it. Yeah, go get it. All right, last one. I know you know this one. In the city where we gone do broke, we like figures. Get that bag, then we go into work like Jay Billis. The uh, function remix. That's the function remix. <laughs> Gotta have that, my name in it. Of course, that was I would the hope. coolest. That was probably, that might have been the coolest thing ever. Did you know that he was gonna mention you? No, no. Um, the only like I've had some really cool interactions with with Jeezy. One of the cool things is is every once in a while it has it's been a while since this has happened, but he would call or text and say, "Hey, I'm dropping a I'm dropping an album. Would you put it out?" 
and and asked me to put it out first. I'm like, how cool is that? Um, you know, that that was really really cool. I've I've met him on several occasions, and and he couldn't be a better dude. And uh, you know, we we come from vastly different backgrounds, but the the fact that um, that you know, I appreciate um, his art form, and uh, and he he is uh, you know been kind enough to to be nice to me. That's a really that's a really cool thing. You're like the Jeezy insider dropping all the exclusive stories. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but but for a guy for a guy who's you know 58 years old to uh, to have that kind of fun, it's it's pretty neat for me. Okay, last thing on Jeezy, top five Jeezy songs. Anything from TM101, I would say um, I would put at the top of at top of that list. That's my that's my favorite album of his. Um, I would say the Recession album is up there too. Um, but um, My Hood is my favorite song. Um, it's probably the, the least hard-edged of, of his hits. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's sort of my favorite. I love that. Okay, time for the second half. All right, people, we're brought to you by Caesars Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. See, it's not just about the daily promos, odd boosts, or the hundreds of ways to wager. It's about the immortal words of Caesar himself. You bet you get with Caesars Rewards. Every bet you place on the app, no matter the outcome, earns towards exclusive perks at Caesars Rewards destinations everywhere. Hotel stays, concert tickets, bonuses, and more. Download the Caesars Caesars Sportsbook app, become a Caesars Rewards member today and get more with every wager. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-522-4700. We got off track a little bit on Coach K, but I did want to ask because you have not only played under him, but also coached with him for uh, a few years. What is the craziest thing that Coach K did? whether it be in practice that a story that we haven't maybe heard yet. He did a lot of crazy stuff. Um, you know, he was, he, he would, there were times he would come into the locker room and have, um, have something set up for us. Um, before a game we played my freshman year, we were playing Louisville and back then Louisville, they were, their nickname was the doctors of dunk. And they went to the final four that year and played in that iconic game with with five Slamma, uh, Slamma Jamma in the in the final four. And, you know, we had had some ups and downs during the course of the early season. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, we're we're waiting for his pregame speech and the lights went out and we're like, what else is going to go wrong? Like now we have no power. And uh, I mean, we immediately went to the negative to, you know, we we took a trip to negative town and all of a sudden <laughs> we see this flickering light coming down the hallway and and he's got a candle in front of his face so all you could see was his face in this pitch darkness and all he said was i came not to praise louisville but to bury them and blew the candle out and all the guys started jumping up and you know screaming and then we ran out on the court and we had a great first half and then they kicked our ass in the second half oh, uh, no. so we lost the game and i don't that, that was the last time we saw the floating head candle thing um you know if you don't win he doesn't do that kind of stuff uh, again but he, he does stuff like that from time to time. Uh, I was already gone, but he came into the locker room one time dressed as, uh, as Rocky with uh, boxing gloves on and a robe. And uh, I think he did a thing as uh, uh, from Gladiator for the team one time where he came in <laughs> dressed as Russell Crowe. And 
Maximus Decimus Meridius, I guess. Um, so he does that. He, not, not very often, uh, but he does. He, he would do some some stuff like that from time to time. I love that because we only see him in a suit, you know, and, yeah. and just kind of locked in. But I can't even imagine him with like a can. A can those are kind of tricky. Chin. Yeah, those <laughs> yeah. are kind of tricky. Um, like for Coach K, because he, he like people don't most people don't know this. Like he's insanely funny. He's got a great sense of humor. Um, you don't see it as much during the the course of the regular season because he is a, he's pretty intense. Um, but but he's really funny and uh, and very quick witted on comebacks and and stuff like that. But I, I think sometimes when you do some of the uh, some of that stuff, it can it can take you off a little bit. Um, and it you know it depends on your team and how they're gonna how they're gonna process it. You know you don't want to yeah. do anything that's gonna you know get a, guys are gonna be making fun of you later on. <laughs> but um, but he he's he could be really funny sometimes unintentionally like sometimes he'll make a mistake uh, when he's talking to you and that's that's the thing that that we would seize on like he has this uh, you know he's from Chicago and he 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 uses the word yo a lot like so he'll say hey yo do this yo yo like he's constantly saying that to get people's attention or start a sentence or whatever. And I think I can't remember. It was my freshman year. Uh, we played a team that had a guy on the team named Yo. His name his name was spelled Y O H E. And so we caught on the scouting report. And then when we went out to do our scout, when we were going through drill work, uh, you know, every time we'd get a hand up uh, on the shooter, somebody would go Yo. They would just we, we were saying Yo every five seconds, pointing at the guy Yo Yo. Watch out for Yo. And uh, and Coach K caught on after a while and said, "Hey, I hear you guys saying yo, like that's real funny. We'll see how funny it is when yo is kicking your ass tomorrow, you know, stuff like that." Yeah. So you had to be you had to be a little careful uh, throwing it back at him. To be a fly on the wall during that era would have been really fun. Do you consider him the greatest college basketball coach ever? I do, just because of so I grew up in L.A. and uh, John Wooden was at his heyday when I was growing up. So and he retired in 1975, and so Wooden won ten national championships. Nobody's ever going to approach that again. Coach K won five, uh, and it should have been more. Um, I guess or you could argue it could have been less, but it, I think it should have been more. But um, and he had he knocked on the door a lot, but nobody has done nobody did it at that level for 40 years. Like and he did it all on television, so he's going to be the toughest act to follow in in basketball history, and I don't think anybody's going to reach that number. Uh, you know, Jim Beheim may coach until he's eighty and do it, but nobody starting now is gonna is gonna approach that. There's too much money in the game; it's too difficult now. Uh, I don't think you'll see the kind of longevity that that Coach K had. Um, I don't think you'll see that again. And who are your starting five players to ever come out of Duke? To ever come out of Duke, um, mm -hmm. I would put Grant Hill and Christian Leitner at the top of the list. Those are the two best players Duke's ever had, in my view. Um, J.J. Reddick's the all-time leading scorer and the best shooter, uh, so I would put Reddick up there. Um, for me, um, like some of the, the one-and-done guys, had they stuck around longer, uh, would be no-brainers there. Um, but since they didn't, you'd probably go with the guys that, that were there longer um, you'd probably have to have a point guard there. Uh, so to me, it would be between Bobby Hurley and Tommy Amaker. And uh, and I'll put Hurley in there. Um, and uh, what else would you need on that team? Um, like maybe a small forward. Um, I would probably go with uh, either Shane Battier or Danny Ferry. 
uh, in that last spot. Um, go with Battier because Danny Ferry couldn't guard a chair. So I'd go with Battier. <laughs> so we have Shane Battier, JJ Redick, Bobby Hurley, Grant Hill, and, and Christian Leitner. And Christian Leitner. Is that six or five? Did I get five that's, or six? That's five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five. That's five. Sweet. I like it. I do a show called the NBA Rising Stars Report with the NBA where we follow rookies and kind of sophomores in the league, just the up and coming NBA players. And we always look at the rookie ladder. So are there any rookies right now that have really stood out to you? We have Ben Caro, we have Matherin kind of at the top of the list, but but any that, that you're really interested in this season? I, I'm sorry that Chet Holmgren's not playing because I was really looking forward to seeing what he was going to do. Um, but Bancaro's been the been the best, uh, arguably, um, with his size and skill level. Um, I think he has uh, has performed at a really high level. So it's it's hard to hard to get beyond that as the best. But you know, I I really believe that Ben Matherin was a steal in the draft uh, where he got drafted. I didn't anticipate he would be this good this early. And, uh, and, you know, he, he, he has this mindset of being the best player. Like he really believes he is. And, uh, and I think that serves him really well. Um, so yeah, th those two have stood out. I'm still waiting for Jabari Smith. I, I think Jabari Smith is going to be great. Um, and he's played really well at times, but, but Bancaro has been more consistent at, at the highest level than, than Jabari Smith coming out. I've seen that a lot of the, the rookies have had more confidence. I've, feel like in the, the past few years when I've really been paying attention to the NBA. And I don't know if it has something to do with these younger guys being on a bigger stage earlier, even when it comes to like social media and how the media has covered players in high school now more than we ever have. And they're kind of getting that visibility and getting that platform. But I've just just seen so much confidence and, and guys are stepping on the court with LeBron, with Katie, with these you know, these superstar players and they are up for that challenge. You know, they respect the guys, but they're not scared anymore. Yeah, that's true. Um, but they're better prepared at a younger age than players were in the past. So they play more basketball at a higher level, younger than players ever did before. Um, and uh, they prepare themselves like, you know, every it seems like everybody has a, a personal trainer when they're in high school now. Um, so the players today are better than they've ever been. Now, it doesn't mean that Michael Jordan wouldn't be the best player now or Oscar Robertson or Jerry West. I'm not saying that. But the average player now is is infinitely better than the average player was 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever. Um, I don't know why in basketball we seem to we seem to harken back to the old days that the players were somehow better, tougher, more skilled years ago. It's just not true. They're, they're, they're far better now. Uh, and the game is better. Um, you know, a big guy now has to do so much more than a big guy used to have to do years ago. I mean, you have to be able to shoot the ball from the perimeter. Guys have to guard ball screens and still get back in the, in the post and protect the rim and all that. So there are more opportunities for big guys to pick up fouls now than ever before. And the game is faster, more wide open. Um, it, it's it's just an infinitely better game and, and more challenging than ever and more sophisticated. And that goes for college, too. The college players now are better than they've ever been. They just don't stick around as long. So the only shot that that teams from my era would have today is we were older. Um, so you could say we'd have a chance, but athletically, skill-wise, these guys are better than they've ever been. Yeah, players have to play 94 feet, both ends of the court. 94 feet is something that you know very well and a series that a lot of your fans have tuned into. 
what is your favorite episode of 94 feet that you've ever done? Well, I like it with, uh, I tend to enjoy the coaches as much as anything because, um, there, you ask them a question, like you'll say to Bill Self at Kansas, all right, what was your first car? And immediately his, his eyes light up and he says, you know, yellow Dodge Dart, you know, and, and <laughs> it talk about the interior and all that stuff. Um, some of the, the younger players aren't as, um, you know, they're in it right now. So maybe the nostalgic stuff about, you know, your favorite food or this or that. The coaches seem to, to be more into it because they get to talk about something different. Um, the first, my favorite one is still the first one I ever did. Um, you know, we were challenged by ESPN, by our bosses at ESPN to come up with things that were different. And so, uh, a producer that I work with quite a bit named Scott Gustafson, we, we got together and said, all right, what can we do? And, uh, and we started talking about some different things and I had seen something on the NFL network at the time it was called 40 yard dash. It was during the, uh, combine, I believe. And I saw it one time and I've never seen it since. I've looked for it. I've never seen it since. So it was a similar thing, but just 40 yard dash. And I said, why don't we do something like that? And uh, Gus came up with the idea of, you know, we'll call it 94 feet and we could do it in a it quickly. And then it, it gets into the broadcast and it doesn't take up too much time. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And we did it with Jay Wright uh, of Villanova. And it was probably 10 years ago, something like that. They were playing at Virginia and uh, I know Jay really well. And, and so I asked him if he'd do it and he immediately said, yes. So we didn't have a lot of, you know, we didn't never done it before. So it wasn't like I could prepare him or he knew what was coming. So I, I explained the concept to him and I asked him the first question. I think I asked him, what was your favorite TV show as a kid? And Jay's response was, oh, that's a good question. My favorite TV show. And he starts, what was my favorite TV show? He goes, oh, that's a good one. And we got into the opposite free throw line by the time right. he answered the question. <laughs> and I'm like, you, you F the thing up on the first time. And uh, so we had uh, outtakes from it, and it, it was one of the only times we'd ever done it twice. Um, usually we, we knock that thing out in one take, and we might walk again so they get B-roll from different angles of us, but we, we usually only do it once. And, uh, and I, I still tease Jay. It was, it was still the only time, or one of the only times that, that it got screwed up, and, and it was, you know, Mr. Hall of Famer screwed the <laughs> thing up. <laughs> Who is one person that you would love to have on 94 Feet? Just about anybody. I think you'd be great. Um, I would. I've loved it. I mean, the one that the one that stood out and got the most attention was when I did ninety four feet with Red Panda um, on (laughs) the unicycle. That was really cool. Red Panda. She's an icon in halftime performances. Yeah, (laughs) just awesome. And uh, so we did that at Virginia Tech one time, and that got more you know sort of more eyeballs than anything anything I've ever done with that. But it's a really fun deal. Um, I've done it with Tom Izzo. Like I've done it with Tom Izzo on the court. I've done it in Maui on the beach. And then I've done it with him on the football stadium in the snow wearing uh, snowshoes. We did it a few years ago that way. Um, so that that's kind of fun to, to do those things. Um, but there's there's nobody I wouldn't like to have uh, just because it's, it's, uh, it's a really fun deal. And, uh, you know, it gives people a little bit of a different view of, of the players and some of them are are really quick and and uh, and really enjoy it, and others are are nervous. Um, uh, so you know, it's a, it gives you a mixed bag. Yeah, uh, Jay, do you have a TikTok? Because I feel like this would be a fantastic series on TikTok. You could get all of the ones that you've already done, 
cut them vertically and then any that you do moving forward, just make that your TikTok page and I guarantee you would have a million followers like overnight. I should do just, that. That's a great I do just I, with I do 94 TikTok. feet. Yeah, I do TikTok. That's a good idea. I'll I'll get I'll get on that because because uh, I'm looking to put that stuff out. I put it out sometimes on Instagram, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, TikTok could be good. I'm still kind of feeling my way around TikTok. Um, I, I look at it all the time. Those, those things are incredible time drains. Um, <laughs> you know, you're sitting oh, yeah. in an airport where I used to read. So I I used to actually read books in airports, and now I'm just looking at Instagram and TikTok and all this stuff and. Uh, you know, following, um, I follow these cooking um, sites and uh, or accounts, and I don't cook that much. And I don't know why I watch cooking shows, but but <laughs> I like them. And because uh, I like food. And but like, what a time waste that is. I, I don't I, I cook a little bit, but not very much. And yet I watch all this cooking stuff. It's like me watching Fixer Upper. My wife watches me watch Fixer Upper. <laughs> She's like, you don't ever do anything with your hands. Like, why would you watch this? And I go, I like it. I, go, yeah, I don't know why I watch it. I like it. So, Jay, we are reaching the end of the game. I have some buzzer beaters for you. You're down. I'm down. All right. What is the best game that you've ever been courtside for? Uh, there have been a bunch of them. I did that six overtime game with Syracuse and UConn several years ago in Madison Square Garden. Uh, the best one was probably the Elite Eight game in 2005 uh, between Illinois and Arizona that went to overtime. Illinois went on to the national championship game in 05. Uh, but that game was uh, was iconic. I don't think I'll ever forget that one. Who was one person dead or alive that you would love to sit courtside with? Uh, Sean McDonough, dead. Uh, I, I've been asked that question a lot, um, and uh, and I answered it one time. And, and Sean McDonough called me and said, "What? Not me?" And I told him, "Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to be with you, dead." Um, <laughs> one person courtside, um, Muhammad Ali. I would like to sit with Muhammad Ali courtside. That's a good one. Michael Buffer had that same answer when we had him on the show. And Let's get ready to rumble. Yeah, but obviously Dang. he has a special relationship with him too. Um, okay, last question. What is one event in history that you would have loved to have been courtside for? It could be a sporting event or other. I would have loved to have seen Sandy Koufax pitch in person. Um, I uh, I met him a couple times. I was a huge fan growing up. He retired uh, when I was just a little kid. So I did. I had no, you know, no memory of him playing, but um, you know, he was a legend not only you know nationally uh, as a as a baseball pitcher and retired early. I mean, he was he he'd only pitched. I mean, he, he had an arm arm issue and wanted to have a real life, uh, so retired after being the most dominant pitcher. And uh, and I I hit golf balls next to him one time at a charity golf tournament. And I was such a fanboy. Um, you know, if it were today, I would have been, you know, taking selfies with him in the background and all that stuff. It was is pre, you know, pre cell phone selfie stuff. But I would have loved to have watched him pitch. Uh, I was such a huge, uh, huge fan of his, even though I didn't didn't really see him play. Love that. Well, Jay, thank you so much for joining us on Courtside Club. Let everybody know where they can find you on social and especially your TikTok and anything else that you have going on that we should be on the lookout for? I think it's all at, at Jay Billis. So it's at Jay Billis on Twitter, at Jay Billis on Instagram. And I think it's at Jay Billis on, on TikTok. I don't even know how that works. But yeah, I think, I think it's all those things. 
uh, you can tell I'm not out, you know, shooting my my social media to everybody. <laughs> so you're not going to let me puts... do a 94 feet with you? I don't get to do a 94 feet with you? Oh, I would love to. Absolutely. All right, let's do it. I'm down. What's your favorite uh, favorite thing to eat that you're not supposed to eat? Oh, we're doing it right now? Sure. Yeah. Uh, French, French fries, favorite food. Uh, be- oh, well, who bakes the best French fries? Oh, that's a like, really you got, tough you got, one. You got one French fry. Honestly, to eat. Hope, Are you going to hope, McDonald's? Are you going to. Oh, no, not fast food. Normally, honestly, like hotel room service French fries are some of the best. Ooh, the crusty ones. Yeah, they're like thick too. Yeah. What was your favorite toy as a kid? Favorite toy? Um, probably my Razor scooter. I don't know if that's a toy. That's a toy. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, mine would have been a big wheel, but that's a toy. That's yeah. a toy. Uh, what is your dream vacation? Oh, you know, I would love to go to Africa and go on safari and just see all the big cats in their natural habitat. When I was a kid, I actually had a jar where I used to put all my extra change and money, and it was my jar to Africa because I just wanted to see the big cats. I don't know where that money went, but I'll just have to use my salary now to go. <laughs> Pet peeve. Oh, shoes in the house. Mm-mm. People can't wear shoes at your house? No, absolutely not. I, I don't like dirty I don't like dirty floors. I like to be able to walk around and not get dirt on my feet in my own home. So shoes are out the door. So you're cool with people walking around barefoot in your house? It mostly it's socks, you know. Socks are fine. Oh, but so you know, did you I, require I you, socks? I don't require socks, no. Yeah, I don't want I don't want somebody's smelly feet walking around my house. <laughs> so you'd rather uh, have like the the dog poop that they stepped on on their shoe going through your house? Usually the people I invite over I think are nimble enough to avoid stepping in dog, <laughs> but maybe your friends are different than mine. Uh, maybe. <laughs> all right, pet peeve on an airplane. Oh, but now that you say it, people that <laughs> take off their shoes on an airplane and their feet smell. <laughs> Is that why you asked that as a follow-up question? <laughs> yeah, that that is kind of top of the list for me. Um, yeah. That and the uh, I, I actually enjoy talking to people on airplanes, um, but but I, I think airplane uh, an airplane for me is a is just transportation. I'm trying to get from one place to the other, and and it's not always pleasant. Um, so sometimes I'm not I'm I'm slow to talk to the person next to me unless they're you know they really started up. And once I get going, I'm really glad that we we got to know each other and had the conversation because people are really interesting. But uh-huh. I'm not I'm not as open to that as I should be, and I need to get need to get better at that. But the other thing that bothers me personally, and this is this 94 feet is becoming less about you and more about me now. No, I like but, it. Um, what, I, like I I, uh, I always get an aisle seat. People put me in the aisle because they think because I'm bigger, I want that. But. Uh-huh. Um, when somebody has to go to the bathroom eight times during a flight, um, I, I it, it seems like I get next to the smallest bladdered passenger uh, on every <laughs> flight I'm on. So that's why I'm I'm more of a window seat guy now because uh, I don't get up during flights. Um, so uh, I'm with when you. somebody that's... has to get up a thousand times. Yeah, no, I would be a great person to sit next to because I sleep the whole time and I never get up and I'm always in the window seat. It's like I Are get you on a, a snore? plane. No. I mean, not that I know of. No one's ever told me. <laughs> I get on a plane, I'm immediately asleep. It's like my body knows this is your nap time. So. All right. Last question for 94 feet. Okay. Um, 
what would you say is your ultimate career goal? Like what, what do you want to retire from when it's all over? I would love my own daily show, honestly. Um, something that mixes sports with entertainment. That's what I've always done. Sports will always be in my soul, but I like mixing it with everything else that's going on. And I just want to give people something fun to watch and escape that, you know, from their daily life, they come to my show, they have a good time. I tell other people's stories. I have great guests on and um, they can tune in every single day. So. Well, aside from me, now you've checked this off your bucket list. I can't imagine how coveted this was. Uh, <laughs> ultimate bucket list guest for your, your daily show that you're going to retire from someday after you accept your 17th Emmy. You're right. Uh, Jay checked off the list. We got that. Um, Can you imagine they, the dream come true? This has been. Oh, oh, absolutely. I could retire today, but I'll still <laughs> I'll keep going. <laughs> um, OK, so this might sound really weird, but I would love to speak to Jane Goodall. Again, we alluded to, to animals in the past. It's a little bit of a stretch from the sports world, but that's just always someone that I've looked up to and been um, enamored by. I think what she's done just like for the environment and for animals and whatever is really cool. So I'd love to sit down with her. One other person in sports would be Allen Iverson. He was my favorite player growing up. I met him once and I don't, I don't fangirl very often, but I had a little bit of a moment. So in sports, AI, otherwise Jane. Well, that, that that's great. Well, thank you for being on 94 feet. I think we went, we went 188, but sorry to keep you that long. That's fine. Sorry. I didn't answer quick enough. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming on Courtside Club. Now I can retire. It's yeah, been yeah, a good you run, a great you guys. <laughs> you had a great you. career. We'll we'll have a party for you. It's it's been it's been a great run. I'll take it. <laughs>